many of you guys have heard of the Lord of the Rings before? Probably a lot of you. I was so surprised last night. I thought everyone was going to think I was a huge nerd, but so many people have heard of it. So maybe you've read the books, maybe you've seen the movies, or maybe you really don't have any idea what that is, and you do think I'm a huge nerd for bringing that up. But whether or not you know anything about the Lord of the Rings, I think there's a story from the series that you'll really enjoy, because this is, this is a story about two friends who stick beside each other when things get hard, when things are good, when things are, are tough, when they have to sacrifice for each other. And the name of one of these friends is Frodo. The other's name is Sam. And they have a lot in common. They live in the same community. Their families have known each other for decades. They like the same foods. They like the same activities. All kinds of stuff they have in common. But the problem is that there is a very powerful and ancient villain that's threatening to destroy everything they love. And this villain has, has forged a ring that he can use to enslave all the populations of the earth. And somehow this ring has fallen into the hands of Frodo's family. And so Frodo gets chosen to take this ring across the earth to a huge volcano called Mordor, where he has to destroy the ring and then defeat the villain by doing that. And so Frodo decides that he's going to go alone. So he, he leaves his hometown, he gets in a boat, and starts rowing off towards Mordor. But then all of a sudden, out of the woods, comes running Sam. And he says, Mr. Frodo, wait, don't go. So Frodo turns around and says, Sam, go back. I'm going to Mordor alone. And Sam says, well, of course you are. And I'm going with you. And so he runs out into the water, but then he begins to drown because he doesn't know how to swim. And so eventually Frodo picks him up and puts him back in the boat. And then we get to learn why Sam is so devoted to Frodo that he's actually willing to drown just to be with him and go with him on this journey. Because Sam says to Frodo, he says, I made a promise, Mr. Frodo, a promise. Because earlier, Sam had actually promised to never leave Frodo's side. He said, I'll never leave Frodo. And we find out in the rest of the story that that promise isn't empty. He wasn't just saying that. He really meant it. Because this journey was going to take them across rivers and seas and mountain ranges and through all kinds of forests. And they would have to face incredibly powerful beasts and monsters and also fight off all the henchmen of this villain who are trying to hunt them down and take the ring. There's this one scene where Frodo gets badly injured by a huge beast and Sam jumps in and takes up a little sword and defends Frodo with his life. And there's another scene when they finally get to this volcano. They're, they're laying on the side of the volcano and this ring has become too much of a burden for Frodo. And he just he can't take another step. And he's just lying there on the side of this volcano. And Sam comes and sits with him and he says, Frodo, do you remember our, our home? Do you remember our true home? He says, do you remember the taste of strawberries? Do you remember what the orchards look like in springtime? What Sam is doing is he's reminding Frodo of what's, what's their true home. But Frodo says, no, I, all I can see right now is, is the ring. All I can see is the burden of the ring. I, can't, I don't have any strength, Sam. I can't think about that right now. And so what's Sam going to do? Obviously, it's, just, it's not working. What he does next is really amazing. He says, look, Frodo, I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you. And so he picks Frodo up and carries him up to the top of this volcano where they finally destroy the ring. And the evil is defeated. Now, last week, Luke introduced us to a pair of friends that are actually really similar to Sam and Frodo. David and Jonathan, right, from 1 Samuel 18 and 19. David and Jonathan are, are very similar. They have a lot in common, right? They're both from the same nation. They're both Israelites. In fact, they're, they're also brothers-in-law because David had married Jonathan's sister. They're also men of war. They're very skilled warriors. And they have all these surface-level things in common, 
But just like what happens with Sam and Frodo, their friendship gets tested. And last week, Luke introduced us to what, what's going on here with David, Jonathan, and Saul. And their friendship really gets tested. And here we really get to see just how meaningful their friendship is and just how faithful Jonathan is to David. And what we really need to learn from this text is that we need to cultivate meaningful friendships. You see, Frodo would be dead without Sam. And in the same way, as we're going to read, David would be dead without Jonathan. Jonathan risks his life in many ways to save David, to defend David with his life. So in, in verse, uh, I'm sorry, in 1 Samuel 18 and 19, right? Saul, the king of Israel, which is actually Jonathan's father, has become murderous and angry and jealous of David because he knows that the Lord is with David and he knows that David at some point is going to become the king of Israel. And so on multiple occasions, he's trying to, to kill David. And we see this is it's a crazy situation. Luke last week said it, that would be like your, your dad trying to kill your best friend. Can you imagine that? How weird is that to think about? Your dad trying to kill your best friend. And this is really going to test their friendship. Because think about it, Jonathan is the prince, right? He's the son of the king. That means what? That he's going to be the king someday. But we see that Jonathan's not concerned about himself. In 1 Samuel 20, which is where we're going to be today, so please flip there with me. In the beginning of the chapter, David has just come from from fleeing away from Saul, who again is trying to kill him. And he comes to Jonathan and he's like, bro, why is your dad trying to kill me? What's my guilt? How have I sinned against him? What did I do wrong? And Jonathan's like, no, 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 what are you talking about? My dad's not trying to kill you. He doesn't do anything without telling me first. But David is very wise and he says, no, Jonathan, your dad knows that we're close friends. Your dad knows that you love me and that you care about me. And so he wouldn't tell you because he doesn't want his plan to be ruined. And David's right about that, because Jonathan has no idea about this plan. But Jonathan proves that he is going to be faithful, that even though he has a lot to lose, he has the, the king, he has the, his, his own position as the king to lose eventually, he has his own life to lose, because Saul is very murderous at this point. But Jonathan comes up with this plan to save David. He says, David, go hide behind a stone heap. And I'm going to come out in about three days with my bow. I'm going to shoot three arrows. And if those arrows go beyond the stone heap, that means that my dad really is trying to kill you. And you need to get out of here. But if the arrows don't go beyond the stone heap, then you're good and you can come out. And so he he crafts this whole plan. And at the end of, of talking about this plan, in verse 23, Jonathan says this. And as for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold... The Lord is between you and me forever. It's very clear that David and Jonathan's friendship is very deep. Even though they have those superficial things in common, like they're they're both Israelites, they're both warriors, they're brothers-in-law, it's clear that that's not really what defines their friendship. Because Jonathan says, the Lord is between you and me forever. He doesn't say the nation of Israel is between you and me forever. He says, the Lord is between you and me forever. And because that's the foundation of their friendship, that's what they based their friendship on, Jonathan is able to show an immense amount of sacrificial love for David, which we're going to see later in this chapter. And for point number one, I want you to write this down. Evaluate the foundation of your friendships. Evaluate the foundation of your friendships. Again, it's very clear that David and Jonathan's friendship is not 
surface level. It's not superficial. It's not empty, but it's actually very deep because they've founded their relationship not on themselves or the things they have in common, but on their relationship with the Lord their God. On a bike ride the other day, um, it's been raining, right? How many of you guys like the rain? You guys like the rain? Some of you? I like the rain. I don't like getting wet, which maybe is how you guys feel. But I live in Irvine, and uh, in the eastern part of Irvine, there's these huge hills, and every time it rains, they just explode with green. And all the bike trails in Irvine go, go by this little storm drain, and it just fills up with water, and it's really beautiful. And so the other day, I was, I was on this bike ride, and it was amazing, and it had just rained, and it was, everything was so pretty. And as I was riding along, I saw that there was something on the, on the asphalt. Someone had written something on the asphalt. And as I got a little closer, I was like, what, what does that say? And I realized that it said, what's your why? It was a question. It says, what's your why? You might ask, what does that mean? What, what that question is asking is, what's your purpose for doing whatever it is that you're doing? And that really got me thinking. How often do you think about the why of your friendships? How often do you think about why you're friends with the closest friend that you have? Think about the person that you're closest to right now. And just think about, why am I even friends with this person? Maybe it's because you've been going to the same church for a long time. Maybe it's because you go to the same school. Maybe it's because you like the same sports. Maybe you even play on a sports team together. Or maybe your, your families have been friends for decades and you've just known them for a long time. Those are all good things that can bring you together, right? But have you ever actually thought about why you're friends with someone and whether or not that foundation that you have is actually going to last? Because at some point, your commitment to those friends are going to be tested. Just like we see with David and Jonathan, their friendship is built on those things they have in common, right? They are Israelites and all these things, and they have those things in common, but they don't actually hope in that. They don't carry out their friendship as if that's the main thing because they know that they need to found their friendship in something greater than the two of them, something greater than just the little things they have in common. And what they, they found it on is actually their relationship to the Lord. They bring him in. And at some point, when your friendships are tested, when it gets hard for your friend and you have to start sacrificing to care for them, or when it gets hard for you and you, you don't want to share certain things with your friend, but you, you have to, your commitment to them is going to be tested. And if, if you're just on those superficial common things and you don't really have a meaningful, deep-rooted friendship in Christ, at some point, those friendships, those commitments are going are gonna to wash away and they're not going to stand. So I want to talk a little bit about what it looks like for David and Jonathan to actually have their friendship founded in God. There's an awesome passage in 1 Samuel 23. You don't have to write this down. Just listen to this real quick. So David has gone away because they did this whole plan and it turns out Saul was trying to kill him. And so he goes away to this place called Horesh. It's a place in the wilderness. And Saul's men come and they hear that David has gone to this place in the wilderness. So they go tell Saul and Jonathan hears about it. And here's what it says Jonathan does in 1 Samuel 23. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. Can you imagine the kind of risk that that took for Jonathan to go and strengthen his friend's hand in God? His father has already tried to kill him once. He's tried to kill David many times, and he knows that this is risky. But because 
his relationship is founded in, in God and he, he knows that God is most important, he's able to go and love his friend in that sacrificial way. And then he says this. He comforts him by saying, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Some translations say that he'll be second to David. His, his dream was to be this, the right-hand man of King David. Saul, my father, also knows this. You see, he's comforting David, saying, look, God's plan is sure you're going to be the king, and my dad knows this too. That's why he's so jealous and so angry. Then he says this, and the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. What's a covenant? Luke, Luke introduced us to, to their covenant last week. They make a few covenants with each other. Really what that is, you can think of it as almost like a promise, like a verbal commitment. They're, they say, look, I'm by your side. The Lord is between you and me forever. That's our friendship, and I'm committed to you. That's what he's saying by making this covenant. So you really should give yourself some time to just reflect on the why of your friendships. And if you realize that you've never really thought about that, maybe it's time to make some changes. Maybe really think about whether or not once those commitments get, get tested and when it gets hard to be friends with someone and to be a good friend to someone, you should really think about whether those things that you've founded your friendships on are going to last. But you might also be saying right now, well, what if I don't have a relationship with God? Are you saying that I can't have meaningful friendships if I don't have a relationship with God? Not necessarily. Sure, you can bond over those common things that you have and you can have a, a good friend in this life, but ultimately, a hundred years from now, what is that going to matter if your friendships, if everything you do is not founded first and foremost in a relationship with the Lord your God. Just like we studied in Romans 12 a few weeks ago, the world is passing away and you need a sure foundation. That touches every part of your life, including your friendships. And we'll see further on how the only way to really display sacrificial love consistently is if you have a relationship to God who has loved you sacrificially. So how will you know whether your friendships are truly founded in God? We've studied that meaningful friendships are founded in a relationship with God. But what does that really look like? How will your friendships change if they are founded in God? So look with me now at 1 Samuel 20. We're going to look at verse uh, 13 right now. And here's what Jonathan says in verse 13. But should it please my father to do you harm... The Lord do so to me, and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, so that you may go in safety. What's Jonathan saying here? He's saying, look, David, I know you're worried about my commitment to you. I know you're thinking about the fact that I'm the prince, and the, the right to the throne is actually mine because of my dad is the king. But he says, look, this is my commitment to you, David. I'm putting myself on the line. May the Lord do so to me. May the Lord bring harm to me if I don't follow through and actually commit to you and warn you if my father's trying to harm you. And then he comforts David by saying, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Jonathan is a very spiritually mature friend. He says, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. You might ask, well, 
has the Lord been with Saul? I mean, isn't he trying to kill the next king that God has anointed? Like, isn't he going crazy and going mad and trying to kill his own son and all this stuff? You see, Jonathan had recognized that God had given Saul many opportunities to repent. And God had blessed him with being the king over Israel, right? Jonathan is very spiritually mature like that. He, he recognizes those things and he says, May the Lord also be with you as he has been with my father. And now I want to look at verse 17, which says, Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Does that remind you of something? Does that remind you of the second greatest commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Their relationship really is founded in a relationship with God because Jonathan is able to follow those commandments and actually fulfill the greatest commandment through his friendship with David. He loved him as he loved his own soul, and he's making David commit once again and make that promise and reaffirm his commitments. So write this down for point number two. After we read all this, you need to commit to be intentional with your friendships. Commit to be intentional with your friendships. So this is where it really kind of gets hard. You know, we can look at the big picture of David and Jonathan. We can look at the big picture of Sam and Frodo and say, wow, that's awesome. I want to be a friend like that, and I, I want a friend like that. But this is really where the rubber meets the road, and it gets hard, and it's a day-to-day thing. I don't know if you've ever heard about um, this Japanese dog called Hachiko. Maybe some of you have, have seen the movie. They made a movie about it a long time ago, but many people have said that dog, a dog is a man's best friend, right? And in this story about Hachiko, this Japanese dog, his owner is a professor at the University of Tokyo. And every single day, Hachiko walks his owner to this train station, and his owner goes to work, and then comes back, and his dog is right there waiting for him to walk him back home in the evening. And they do this for about two years. And then one day, the dog walks him to the train station, and the professor goes off to work. But in the evening, he doesn't come back. Because unfortunately, the professor had a brain hemorrhage while he was lecturing, and he died in his classroom. But what happens after that is really amazing, because Hachiko still comes back to the train station that night. The professor never comes back. But then for almost 10 years after that, every single evening, Hachiko's back at the train station waiting for his owner to come back and pick him up until eventually he dies right in that spot where he was waiting for his owner. You see, you can see that just a dog like Hachiko, he's very persistent. He's very faithful, right? He, it's the day-to-day thing. It's, you can look at the big picture and say, oh, that's, that's a beautiful story, but really think about how persistent and faithful that little dog was. That's, that's the kind of attitude we should have about our friendships, and we should really seek to be intentional about, um, uh, with our friendships. And, and I'll explain to you what that means. 1 John 3, verse 18 says, Little children, let us not love merely with word or with talk, but in deed and truth. In deed and truth. Something that Luke and I do almost every day without fail is we give each other a call. And sometimes when he calls... I'm just like, oh, great, it's Luke again. i got to pick up the phone. I don't want to talk to Luke right now. But sometimes he feels like that too, right? 
and say, oh, I don't want to share my burdens with him. I don't want to hear about his burdens. I don't want to have to bear that right now. But to really be intentional means, oftentimes that means doing the opposite of what you most naturally want to do. And so I'll pick up the phone anyways, and I'll hear his joyful voice on the other side saying, hey, brother, what's up? Good to, good to hear from you. Um, and, I, and I love that, and it's great. Because being intentional in a friendship is almost like swimming upstream, right? If you stop and you're not actually making any steps and you're not actually making those sacrifices just to talk to your friend and to care for your friend, all that's going to happen is you're going to be swept downstream, right? You don't just stay in the same place when you're in a river. It sweeps you downstream. But if you keep making those little steps every day, being persistent to swim upstream, you can help your friends grow and you can also help yourself grow and you can love your friends as this passage is calling us to. One of the best things to do for your friends is actually to pursue your own spiritual maturity. It's very clear from this story that Jonathan is very spiritually mature. And because of that, because he has such a close relationship with the Lord his God, he's able to encourage David. He's able to put his own life on the line and and, and give David the wisdom of God's word and say, look, God's plan is sure. You're going to be the king, strengthening his hand, not in himself, but in God. Because that's what your friends really need, right? They need you to be spiritually mature. They need you to be an encouragement to them, a, a pillar for them, and you can share the word of God with them. It's almost like you're, you're going on a hike at night with one of your friends, and hopefully you don't do that very often because that's really dangerous. But you're on a hike, right? And it's nighttime, and you come to a spot where you know there's only two, oh, I know you, what you guys are thinking about. <laughs> there's only two ways to go, right? But you can't see the sign, and there's a sign labeling the two paths to take, and you know there's only one right way to go. But again, it's dark outside. You can't see anything. You don't know which way to go. And so you ask, your friend asks you, hey, wait, d- didn't you bring a flashlight? And you say, oh, yeah, of course I brought a flashlight. What do you, what do you mean? They're like, okay, well, take it out. Help me out with this. I, I can't see the sign. But you say, uh, I don't know how to use the flashlight. Your friend's like, what? How do you not know how to use the flashlight? Didn't you, you brought it for a reason, right? But you're, just, you're, you're at a loss. Like, sorry, I, I can't help you. God's word is also described as light, right? And very often in the Bible, we're described as walking in darkness. We live in a dark world. We fight against our own sin. We fight against the spiritual powers in this world. And what your friends really need is to shine that light of God's word and help them see the truth about what they are and about who God is in every situation. There are many times where I'm just in a place where I'm struggling and I'm, I'm, I'm sad and I, I can't really see any hope or any way out of the situation. And then my brother Luke comes along and he says, look, remember this about God. Remember that about God. Remember this about your relationship with God. Remember that God did this for you. And all of a sudden, all this light is coming, and I can finally see, oh, that's what's really true. And that's what your friends really need. And sometimes that means you might have to get out of your comfort zone for your friends. Have you ever felt like just lonely, and you wished that someone would just reach out to you and say, how are you doing? Or say, hey, I don't really know you very well. Do you want to get to know each other? Let's, let's be friends. Have you ever really wanted someone to do that for you? If you've ever been in that situation, I would encourage you to be the person that actually reaches out first because there's lots of people that are thinking that way. That's what it really means to love others as you love your own soul, right? If you want someone to reach out to you, 
be that person that takes that step of love and reaches out to another person who might be lonely and struggling. I can see another thing that you might be thinking. Um, well, what if I've tried to do all this? What if I've tried to sacrifice for my friends? What if I really want to be intentional with my friends? What if I want to talk about godly things and encourage them and I, and I want to do this, but my friends don't reciprocate. My friends don't want that. My friends aren't giving that back. I just want to remind you that you have good company if you're in that place because the Lord Jesus also lived a life of service. He laid his life down. He washed the feet of the disciples. He was always caring for them and helping them grow in their relationship with him, with God. But do you remember what happened? At the moment where he really needed them most, when he was about to be arrested, they all fled and they all went away. When he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying, God, please take this cup away from me, his friends had fallen asleep and they weren't praying as he asked them to. You have good company and the only way to really live a life like this, a sacrificial, intentional life, is if you have your eyes fixed on Jesus. Remember, 1 John 4 says, this is love. We, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Another thing that friends really need is people to keep them accountable. Sometimes you just can't see when you're in the wrong. You can't see when you're doing something harmful. And the other day, uh, my co-leader and Cozy and a couple of, uh, one other guy, we went out to the town center and Cozy said, hey, let's, let's go see if we can share the gospel with someone. We'll try three people and if they're not receptive, then we'll just, we'll leave and we'll call it a night. And so we were doing this and we weren't really getting many people who were very receptive and wanted to talk. But then we walked by this one guy who was sitting by himself and he was doing something illegal. And I was like, well, okay, I don't want to talk to this guy. And I made a remark about him. And then Cozy was like, yo, you don't even know him. How can you say that? You don't, I, like, what if that was me? And so we actually end up talking to him and Cozy starts a conversation and it ends up being a really awesome conversation. The guy heard the whole gospel. It seemed like he was really impacted by it and convicted by it. And I walked away just thinking, man, I was so blind but I needed a brother to tell me, look, you don't see this, but you're in the wrong here. And it was so helpful. That's what we really need from our friends as well. And like Luke said last week, you're allowed to do that as long as you're doing it with wisdom and you're doing it with love. Because Jesus says, right, you've got to take the log out of your eye first. Examine your own heart first to see whether or not you're in the wrong before you can go and help your friend to deal with whatever's going on in their life. So a question you might have right now is, okay, we've talked a lot about meaningful friendships, but why, right? What's your why? Why do all of this? What's really the purpose of friendships? What's the purpose of being intentional with my friendships? What's the purpose of actually founding my relationship with my friends in a relationship to God? I think the answer is actually in 1 Samuel 20, verse 14 and 15. We're going to read that. Jonathan says to David, if I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. You see, Jonathan knew that one way or another, David was going to become the king and God would not allow anything to stop that. Again, Jonathan is very spiritually mature. But Jonathan also knew that there was an ancient custom 
that they had seen many times where the new king would actually go and kill all of the relatives of the previous king. And so Jonathan says, look, if I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. He's saying, spare me from that. If I'm still alive, I'm sorry, and do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. So Jonathan's really asking David, hey, love me, love me, please love me. Once you become king, remember our commitment, remember the promise, remember the covenant we made. So what really is the purpose of friendship? The purpose of friendship is to show God's sacrificial love to your friends so that they can grow in their love for God, so that they can grow in their spiritual maturity, so that they can grow in their moral character. That's what the purpose of friendship really is. And so many times in our passage, right, um, they reaffirm their covenant with each other, their promise, their commitment to each other. They're remembering this commitment all the time. In verse 42, Jonathan reminds David, he says, Go in peace, because we have both sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. See? And then he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. He reminds David, Look, remember that our friendship is actually before the Lord. Even though we're going to be separated physically, God is sovereign over our relationship, and he will provide. So I want you to write down this for point number three. Just like Jonathan and David did, you need to remember the purpose of your friendships. Remember the purpose of your friendships. We've been talking about how Jonathan is able to show an awesome amount of sacrificial love towards David. Jonathan, being the prince, he doesn't care anything about his own privileges or his own powers. He says in verse 34, Saul, right? So Saul has taken a spear because he found out that Jonathan is trying to protect David. So Saul takes up a spear and hurls it at Jonathan. He misses, of course. But then it says, Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. You might think, wait, didn't your dad just throw a spear at you? Why aren't you angry because he tried to kill you? Jonathan has other things in mind. He says he was grieved for David, not for his own soul, but for David because his father had disgraced him. You see that that promise they made? With each other, that covenant was founded on their love for one another because they were first loving the Lord their God and everything in their lives. And there's a great passage in 1 Samuel 18, you remember last time, where Jonathan just takes off all of his, his, his prized possessions and gives them to David. He gives him his sword, he gives him his bow, he gives him his garment, his belt, all these things. And that was a symbol of Jonathan relinquishing all of his own privileges and giving them over to David in an act of awesome, sacrificial love. And again, Jonathan probably had some idea that the Lord is with David and something, and the Lord's going to use him somehow. You see, love does not allow us to be selfish. Love does not allow us to put ourselves first. Love doesn't allow us to be prideful and envious of other people. And you can see very clearly how the love that Jonathan has is contrasted with the anger and jealousy of his father. 
In John 15, verses 12 through 17, you don't have to write that down, just listen to this. Here's what Jesus says. He says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Okay, so how has he loved us? You might say, well, he died on the cross, right? He lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sins. Okay, but let's really understand that. He says then in verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. So think about this for a minute. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends, right? But what does the Bible say that you and I are before God? It says that we're enemies of God. We're opposed to God in our flesh. We hate God naturally and we want our sin. Jesus laid down his life for people just like us. And then he turns to his friends and to his disciples and he says this, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You see, there was no, no more alienation between the, the, the people, his disciples, and God because Jesus had come to restore them to God. And he said, look, everything that God has is mine and I give it to you. And he shared that all with his disciples. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Then he closes it out by saying, these things I command you so that you will love one another. That is the purpose of your friendships. It's showing the same sacrificial love that Jesus showed all of us by taking our sin on him and going to the cross and being crushed there for our sin. 1 John 3.16 says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So are you beginning to see it now? The only way to really live a, a, a life where you're sacrificing for your friends, where you're intentional with your friends, where you're building these meaningful friendships, is to first have God's sacrificial love in view, because God took enemies like you and I and made us friends with him. And Jesus clearly says that to be his friend, it means that you treat him as Lord. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, this does not necessarily mean that you're going to have to go out and actually die for your friends. But the point here is that God's love has been so incredible for you that you should be willing to do that. And it means that you live a sacrificial life. It means that you don't consider your own privileges, that you consider your friends, others, more significant than you consider yourself. You don't put yourself first, because remember, love cannot be selfish. Love cannot put itself first. Love cannot be prideful or envious, but it's only sacrificial. It empties itself for the sake of other people, for their benefit. And we see that very clearly in Jonathan, don't we? Because in 1 Samuel 18, right, he empties himself of all of his privileges. And then in 1 Samuel 23, he says, look, you're going to be the king, David, not me. That was his right. He was the heir to the throne. But he says, no, I've recognized God's will. I'm sacrificing that. It's not my privilege anymore, David. It's yours. He empties himself of all those privileges. Maybe that sort of uh, rings a bell in your mind, emptied himself. Because Philippians 2 says that Christ, although he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. You see, Jesus also, though he was rich and and, and throned in heaven, he came down and emptied himself of all those privileges so that you and I could become rich in him and have the same kind of uh, sonship that he does. We can be sons of God too. The Bible says in, in the Gospel of John that he will give you the right to become sons of God if you'll believe in his name, in his work. And so that's how you can have a sacrificial attitude towards friendship. And that's the only way to have it, is if you're fixed on that love that Jesus has shown for you. And uh, now my papers are all out of whack. That's weird. All right, there's an awesome passage in Ecclesiastes 4, and it, and it talks about friendship, basically. It says this, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, it says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Okay, that's pretty cool. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for whatever they're doing, right? If you team up with someone, you can do more. Did you know that there's a special horse um, called a draft horse? It's a special breed of horse. And they use, it, they use draft horses to carry these huge loads. And one draft horse can carry between 6,000 and 8,000 pounds. So you think, well, if two are better than one, let's put them together, and then they can carry 12,000 to 18,000 pounds, right? Or 16,000 pounds. But it's really amazing what happens when you put two of them together. They can actually carry three to four times the amount they'd be able to carry on their own when they're together, because they're working together, they're in the same harness, they're encouraging, you know, you might say they're encouraging each other, they're, they're pushing forward with so much more force and, and energy because they're next to each other. That's how the, the Bible describes friendship. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. And then in verse 10, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. They say that there's only two kinds of motorcycle riders in the world, those who have fallen and those who will fall. I, thought, I always thought that was kind of clever as a kid to say it like that, but really think about this. You are going to fall. There's going to be times in your life where you come against something that's really hard to face or you're struggling against your own sin or something happens in your life and you don't know how to deal with it. You're going to fall. And if you're on your own, who's going to lift you up? Verse 12 says, Woe to him. Woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. I can tell you that that verse came true in my life because when I became a Christian, I became a Christian through a Bible study. And at that time, I had no idea why I needed to be involved in a big church and in a, in a body of, of believers like this. I had no idea why I needed to do that. I thought, well, Bible study is enough for me. I can just have fellowship there. But it was only when... I actually found Compass when the Lord brought me here and convicted me like, hey, you need to be at a church, that I realized actually how blind I was. I realized how spiritually immature I was. I realized that I had been falling so much. I had so many bruises, you might say, because no one was there to lift me up because I didn't let anybody in and I wasn't that for anyone else. But then I met Luke, my best friend, on the first day that I came to the Bridge College Ministry and Two and a half years later, I can tell you that having that kind of spiritual friendship has opened my eyes in so many ways to my own sin, my own weakness, and to have a brother there to pick me up and encourage me has been one of the greatest things in my spiritual life. Hebrews 3.13 says, Exhort one another every day that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
I was really being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I was prideful. I thought, oh, I'll be a lone wolf Christian. I can do it on my own. But I was so wrong. Exhort one another every day. A lot of us think that we don't need this. You might be sitting out there not even listening, thinking that you don't even need this. You don't need to be exhorted every day. You don't need someone to pick you up. I can tell you from my own personal experience that you really, really do. And there's probably a lot of weakness and sin in your life that you can't see if you don't have someone that's able to be there for you, pick you up and keep you accountable. So Luke and I have some really weird nicknames for each other. Um, And since he got to embarrass me last week, I'll embarrass him this time. No, I'm just kidding. But I'll tell you the story of his nickname for me. His nickname for me is Jabberdoon. You might think, uh, how do you get that from Jude? So the story is, it was the day of his baptism, and he picked up his phone and started texting me, and he was so excited to get baptized that he just started smashing all the keys and sending me random stuff. And when he tried to type my name, eventually just Jabberdoon came out. And so he's been calling me that ever since. And then I followed suit and started calling him Lufenbauer. Don't ask me where that came from, because I honestly don't know how I came up with that. But the application for the sermon is that you need to come up with some German-sounding nicknames for your friends. It's the best application I can give you. I'm just kidding. But the awesome part about that story is that he was so excited about his baptism that he literally came up with this weird name, right? But he's always reminding me to be excited. He's always reminding me to be grateful. He'll call me up, I think even on the day of my baptism, he said, hey, are you excited right now? Are you rejoicing? Are you grateful that you get to go and do this? He's done that on many different occasions, reminding me, hey, be grateful. Give thanks to God. Be excited about this. Rejoice in him. And many times I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I'm not. Thank you, brother, for telling me that. I needed to hear that. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. True, lovely, good, excellent, worthy of praise, commendable. These are the kind of things that Luke reminds me of and that I would want to remind him of, and the things that you should remind your friends of. And what does that come down to? Well, a lot of it comes down to, again, pursuing spiritual maturity and being able to remind them of what is true from God's word, because that's what they really need. Think about the ways that maybe you would want your friends to help you grow, and then do those for your friends. Think, well, what, I, what would I want them to do for me in this area of my life, and how can I serve them in that way? It's loving them as you love your own soul. So we've seen clearly that David and Jonathan aren't friends just because they're Israelites or warriors or brothers-in-law, but actually their friendship is about something much greater than just the two of them. The Lord is between you and me forever, Jonathan keeps saying. And because of that, we saw that they're able to display an awesome amount of sacrificial love for each other. Jonathan even goes so far as to give up his right to the throne because he knows that God's plan is different. And so he loves his brother David by giving that up willfully. And then we see that this really takes commitment. It takes a day-to-day persistence, doing things that you don't actually want to do. Because David and Jonathan knew that they could be loyal to each other if they were loyal to the Lord their God first and foremost. And that's what it comes down to. Looking to Jesus the one who says that he revealed God perfectly, and looking at the sacrificial love that he, dis- that he displayed for you in dying for you as an enemy of God so that you could be restored and become friends with God once again. So let's pray that God would really 
make this clear to us and help us to apply this this week. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the relationship of David and Jonathan and how we can learn from their example, Lord. We thank you that their hope was not set in anything but you, that they were trusting in you to care for them, to care for their friendship. Even when things got hard, Lord, even when their commitment was tested, we thank you that you were with them, Lord, and that you allowed them to be an example to us. We also thank you, Lord, that you've shown us the ultimate amount of sacrificial love and coming to die for us and take our sin upon yourself so that we can live forgiven lives. We can live in freedom. And we know, Lord, that you're commanding us to do the same for others. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to always have our eyes fixed on you so that we might run with endurance and not get weary, Lord, when our friends don't reciprocate or when things get hard, Lord. Help us to run with the endurance that you ran with. And all these things we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.